The Saskatchewan Healthcare Coalition is hosting the All for Public Healthcare Rally in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, May 4th. It's free and you're invited. This rally is happening because our public healthcare system does not have the support it needs to meet the diverse needs of all Saskatchewan residents. For years, it has been underfunded, ignored, and hindered. So join Donna and I in person on May 4th in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan for a walk, speeches, networking, and community building. Link for more information is in the show notes. Hope to see you there. All right, what's going on, everybody? My name is Dan. Welcome to Hard Knocks Talks. Today's guest, Saskatoon woman Kimberly Drake, found herself in a cycle of extremely toxic relationships until she got locked into the most abusive relationship of all. And as the abuse piled up, so did the reasons to escape. To honor National Domestic Violence Awareness Month, I invited Kim to the studio to share her impactful and inspiring story about what happened and how she found her way out. Good morning, Kim. Good morning. How are you feeling today? I'm feeling good, thank you. Yeah. Um, just thank you for having me on the show. Um, part of my healing journey, I knew that I wanted to talk about things and um, bring awareness. So thank you for this opportunity. Yeah, of course. And this is your first time um, speaking publicly about this. So um, yes. thank you for uh, finding the courage and, and thinking that our platform is is the place to step forward like this. That's amazing. Is there is there anything that you'd like to say before we get started? Uh, just yeah, just thank you for opening the store for me. <laughs> All right, here we go. This is Hard Knocks Talks. All right, if you are struggling with the substance use of a loved one or have tragically lost a loved one to drug-related harms, reach out to Stronger Together Canada, peer-led support groups by Mums Stop the Harm and or Naranon Groups of Saskatchewan. If you are in search of private inpatient addictions treatment, check out Prairie Sky Recovery Centre located in Libsig, Saskatchewan. To make contact or learn more about today's sponsors, check out our new merch. Or if you want to show us some love and buy us a coffee, all of those links are in the show notes below. So where to even begin? Um, you you shared your story with, with Donna and I, and, and I... I I'm sorry, Donna can't be here today. This is a, a topic that has touched our family in a, in a very profound way. Um, but the cards fell in a way that it's she's not able to attend. So um, where did it all get started for you? Now, in the intro, I, I mentioned that um, you were in a long string of them. Um, the first time you got into a relationship, did that feel normal to you? Uh, no, I was in my, um, well, I was in my early twenties. I found my, or sorry, I should back up a bit. Mm -hmm. I, I moved to Alberta when I was, um, 18 mm -hmm. and, um, I ended up in Calgary where I went on to live there for almost 20 years. Um, so I was in my early twenties and I, um, when introduced into, um, party, the party scene. Mm -hmm. I met this guy that was also into that scene and um, we got married at a very young age. How long was it from you met when you got married? Uh, we dated for three years and okay. then we were married for three years. Okay. So not, not a, not a really short uh, courtship. It was. No, it was. Yeah. yeah. Um, and 
throughout that relationship, um, his substance use increased and, um, and then he became quite verbally and mentally abusive. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he sexually assaulted me in that relationship. Mm-hmm. And, um, like after the marriage, when, when we were married. Mm. And I think something, um, that I just want to mention is that I've heard a lot of people say that how can you be sexually assaulted when you're in a marriage, but it doesn't matter if you're in a committed relationship, if you're married or not, mm-hmm. if you tell someone to stop and, and no, and they continue to do that, that's still sexually assault. Mm-hmm. So, um, did you feel assaulted at the time or was there a part of you that thought that this was acceptable in the confines of marriage? No, I knew it wasn't right. Um, Mm -hmm. but I didn't talk about it. Um, you know, it wasn't until just recently that I actually admitted to that. Mm -hmm. Um, cause you feel a lot of shame and a lot of guilt uh, around it. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, that marriage ended not even for those reasons. It was because he cheated on me. Mm -hmm. Um, and then that was the start, I think, of the cycle of abusive relationships. Mm. Um, I found myself, you know, in in different relationships that had different forms of abuse. There was physical, mental, verbal, mm-hmm. um, emotional mm-hmm. abuse. Did you ever find yourself wondering, like, how do I keep up, keep ending up in relationships like this? Um. You know, I don't really know. Like, I I find myself I found myself drawn to the same kind of person all the time, mm-hmm. um, and I don't really know why or what happened that that I was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, I I grew up in a really good family, um, really close with my. I have two brothers. I'm really close with, super mm-hmm. close with my parents. So yeah, there I'm was not no really... like toxicity at home. There was no drinking at home. Anything like that. No, we were all. It was a really solid, huh. yeah, upbringing. So yeah, I'm not yeah. really sure. <laughs> so when we when we talked before, you mentioned that you were a bit of a party kid early on. Now, was substance use a part of like I would say even was addiction a part of your journey as well? Um, substance use was. Mm-hmm. Um, I you know it was. I think the the people that I ended up in relationships were also in that scene mm-hmm. and that kind of brought us, I guess, you know, what's something we had in common with each other. Um, and then it got to a point where um, I wasn't, it, you know, I was using it to cope with my reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you, you mentioned a, a little bit about, I don't know if you said coercive substance use or forced substance use. Like, was there any time where you were almost like backed into a corner? Yes, later in in my more recent um relationship mm. um I I tried to get I knew that I wanted to change my lifestyle. I didn't want to live that lifestyle anymore. Mm-hmm. And um but I was always encouraged to do it by my my partner mm-hmm. um that you know, you need to blow off steam once in a while. And it's hard to get out when your partner is still in it yeah, and telling yeah. you that, no, it's okay, you should do this. Yeah, yeah. So, sorry, I guess we jumped ahead a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm interested if you have any insight towards, like, when you were between these relationships, you know, you, you got, like, would you say when these relationships ended that you escaped them? Or was this, like, a mutual ending? And, like, when you were single, did you feel complete or did you feel like you needed to find somebody? to be who you are? 
Um, you know, a, a lot of them were mutual. Um, and I think I never took the time to actually heal from, from relationship. Um, mm. and I would jump into relationships quite quickly, mm. um, thinking that I was good, thinking that, you know, I gave myself some time to heal, but I mm. really didn't. But what is healing even? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I, I wasn't, I had no idea. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, um, how old were you? when you met your most recent um, partner? So I was in my later 30s when I met this guy, um, and I thought he was completely different mm. than anybody else. Um, he, he showed interest. He asked me questions. He wanted to get to know me. Mm -hmm. um, he was interested in what I was interested in. Um, and, you know, but he really wasn't. He he could care less really he was just gathering information that he could use as ammo against me at a later time in in our relationship do you think he knew that do you think he knew what he was doing or do you think this was part of his own maybe um mental health challenges um i mean that's a question i ask myself all the time mm. <laughs> um but i think he was very aware of what he was doing yeah yeah you mentioned, and I think we just touched on it here, but you mentioned earlier um, about love bombing and mirroring. Uh, do you want to unpack those for us a bit? Sure. Um, so early on in the relationship, um, you know, when you think that, you know, I thought I had all this stuff in common with him he, and showing the same interests, um, it's actually a manipulation tactic called mirroring. Mm. And that's... Um, it causes a false sense of connection with somebody. So you think that you do have the same feelings, the same thoughts, um, mm -hmm. the same interests as somebody, but they're actually just using your traits and mirroring it to you. So you have this sense mm -hmm. of that. Mm -hmm. um, and then again, the love bombing started really early in our relationship too. So these like grandiose shows of affection. Um, like you what know, do you mean? Like like flowers, like text messages? Like what are we talking about? Yeah. Like I was getting flowers sent to my work. Um, I, you know, the he was in love with me. The love yous came really quickly. Um, Were you they know, reciprocated? Uh, I thought I did actually, you know, I, I fell for it hook, line and sinker. Like mm -hmm. I was swept mm -hmm. off my feet. Um, you know, we, we were each other's soulmates and, um, you know, we, he talked about our future together and, mm -hmm. and, um, yeah, I felt loved and I felt, felt needed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, but shortly after the that the love bombing, um, the psychological abuse started, and um, the thing about psychological abuse is that you you don't even know that it's happening. Um, these types of people do it in such a covert way that mm -hmm. it's so subtle, and um, you you know your gut's telling you like something's not quite right but you don't know what it is mm -hmm. and you know there were red flags um too and i just i chose to ignore all of them mm -hmm. gaslighting and gaslighting yep yeah. there was um gaslighting wild accusations lying um you know everything was always my fault um there was nothing i could ever do that was ever going to be good enough um always walking on eggshells um 
Yeah, you really start to um, second guess yourself. Yeah. And you literally feel like you're going crazy. Mm-hmm. And um, he like would tell me that I was going crazy. I, I was going to ask if you could give us an example of, of some of the experiences you've had with that. With the... With gaslighting. With gaslighting. Um, you know, it's even, it's hard to even explain. Um, you know, we would get into these like terrible arguments and, um, he would, he had a way of like twisting my words Mm. and, and just causing complete confusion that I didn't even know like why we were arguing, what was the first, what started it or anything. Mm Um, yeah, he had me. You know, he was accusing me of being in love with other people um, to the point where I actually started to question myself if I actually was. Really? Yeah. Like it's it sounds crazy to like talk about, but mm-hmm. um, when you're told something over and over and over again, um, yeah, you just you start to believe it. <laughs> hmm. Wow. Um, so you, how long were you with him before you had your daughter so um quite quickly into our relationship he um he convinced me to move in with him early uh it was within the first year okay um and when i think back to it i think that moment when i moved in was probably the moment that i lost complete control over my life Mm. um the the abuse got worse um the there was sexual abuse, um, and then there was also uh, physical abuse started. Mm-hmm. And um, psychological abuse, it follows the same kind of cycle as other abuse. So there's a moment of tension, um, and that builds and builds and builds, and then there's an explosion, explosive um, event that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and in my case, it was um, like the most hateful verbal uh, assault, Mm -hmm. um, and rage texting. And, uh, um, to the point where like, I would just, I would shut down if I tried to defend myself. Um, it only made it worse. Mm -hmm. Um, so I would end up apologizing for something that I didn't even know that I did, um, just to make it stop. And, um, and then following that would be, um, you know, I usually got flowers after that uh, and it won't happen again. Um, but, you know, even to this day, I've never actually received an actual apology. It was, I was yeah. usually one apologizing. Yeah. Um, and then there's a period of calmness. Mm-hmm. So during that period, it's, things are good. And then you, you start to think like, okay, well, maybe this won't happen again. Things will be different. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it all repeats itself again. How, um, was there a cycle that you could like, was like, oh, it's been two months here. It comes again. Or was it random? At the time I didn't notice it because, um, when you're living it, that just becomes your normal mm-hmm. and you don't really, you're, you don't really notice it. It's not until after I was out of it that I, I started noticing the cycle of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm interested to know. Uh, what was it like after the first time things got physical? Was there um, a desire to leave? Was there a desire to fix it? Did you think it was your fault? 
Yeah, I thought it was my fault because I, I started to believe what he was telling me. So, you know, I was a terrible person. I was a terrible partner. And I thought, you know, if I just did better, if I was a better person, then he wouldn't be mad at me. He couldn't get mad at me. Mm. Um, and and I was uh, there was a lot of fear, too. Mm -hmm. So. Um, yeah, I, you know, like fear to leave, fear to leave um, and. You know, the, the other part of the psychological abuse, too, is, like, you have no self-esteem left. Like, they have chipped away everything. Um, anything that you've confided in them, like, of your insecurities, like, he would use against me. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I had absolutely no self-confidence. Um, mm -hmm. And it just, it was, trying to leave wasn't even something that I kind of considered. I thought I could always try to fix it. Oh, it wasn't on, even on your radar? No, I thought I could fix it. You thought you were still at a place where you thought this was like normal, like this was happening in other homes and this is just how things go. People have rocky periods, it's fine, type things. Yeah, I think you could say that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, something that Donna says to me, and I'm not going to tell her story, but something that came to mind, um, her abuser would say to her was, uh, the harder I hit you, the more I love you. Is there anything like that ever communicated to you? Um, I think it was like, you know, following like one of the explosive events, it was kind of like, you know, it won't happen again. Like, mm -hmm. you know, we're supposed to be together. So yeah, you, you feel like this is the person that, I mean, that you do, this is the person that's supposed to love you mm -hmm. and um, that you're supposed to trust. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, yeah, I think you kind of hold on to some hope there. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, your your daughter was born, conceived, born. Did did behaviors change at all? Because, you know, when, you, when you're faced with parenthood, that's when a lot of people um, turn a new page or at least aspire to. Yeah, so um, we we ended up moving um, to a town in BC, and um, at the time, I mean, he, he, I feel like he lured me there. Um, you know, there was promises of he was going to be making all this money. I wasn't going to have to work anymore, and that things would be better. This is the change we needed, and I believed it. I thought, okay, you know, moving here, this is going to be a good change. Things will get fixed. Do you think he believed it? Um, no, I think it was, um, another tactic to isolate me further mm -hmm. away from my friends and further away from my, my family. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, um, I found out that I was pregnant just, it was only a few months after we'd moved there that I had found out I was pregnant and I, um, you know, I quit using substances altogether the moment I found out. Um, he continued to use substances throughout my pregnancy. Um, I, but I knew at that moment that I found out that, like, I need, I wanted to change my life. Like, mm -hmm. I wanted to be the best mom that I could be for my child. Um, and, uh, yeah, that, you know, there was some things didn't get any better. There was, um, the isolation got worse even. Um, there was a time where my mom tried to voice a concern with him and he, um, he verbally attacked her and told her that she was never welcome back to our home mm. and that, um, 
that she would have to watch her only grandchild grow up from afar. Mm-hmm. And um, like my mom's my biggest supporter. And I was in such a terrible place at that time that I didn't, like I know I needed my mom, but um, he, it was easier for me to kind of go along with what he was saying because mm-hmm. I was in complete survival mode at that time. And it almost destroyed my relationship with my mom. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, I, you mentioned that you quit using substances altogether. Now, uh, so substance use was a part of your life at this time before your daughter was born, correct? Correct. Now, were you like partying? Like, did you have a, a circle of friends? You go to the bar or was this like at home sort of behind closed doors time kind of thing? It was more social, like going out to the bar with friends and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but then as things got worse, um, my substance use definitely did. Well, I wouldn't say increased, but it became a coping mechanism for mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Did you have friends like were there signs of physical abuse did did people ever approach you and be like hey like people don't usually run into this many doors you know type thing no the the physical abuse was uh choking so there wasn't any sign like there were no signs of it mm-hmm. um and it's something that i again i never talked about mm-hmm. um I, and because of fear as well mm-hmm. and um and the shame of it too mm-hmm. um but yeah, the moment that my daughter was born, she she was born with her eyes wide open. And <laughs> the the doctor came, uh, put her in my arms, and her and I, we just locked eyes and we stared at each other. And it was that moment that I made a promise to her that I was going to protect her and that I wasn't going to let anything hurt her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what did that look like then? Say like, let, let's take like the first six months. Okay. So, um, daughter's born healthy, happy, um, heavy bonding. Was there bonding with the father? Uh, not really. He wasn't really around very much. He, um, when she was 10 days old, he, uh, lost his job. And so, um, you know, we had a newborn, I was on maternity leave and, um, and then he lost his job. So that added more stress onto our relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, the arguments, um, the yelling, it, it, it increased. Um, like I said, he wasn't around very much. I'm not even really sure where he was or what he was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the times that he was around, he, um, it was constant yelling and arguing and fighting in front in front of our daughter. And so a lot of times I would take her out for walks and stuff just to get away from it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he, he ended up being on a bit of a cocktail of prescribed and not prescribed um, stimulants. Mm-hmm. And um, so he was awake all night um then he would be sleeping during the day and so yeah he wasn't really um there that much Mm. for us was there any indication that he wanted to be a father um that's kind of a hard question i think to answer he he wanted to be um he wanted to be the fun dad mm. he didn't want really any of the, any of the parenting responsibilities mm-hmm. um i think he kind of i mean he clearly he said that to me that he wanted to be the favorite um oh yeah yeah how did that land 
uh, not well, no. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, I mean, there was a time too where um, I brought my daughter back to Saskatchewan to see my family here. We were here for a couple of weeks, and when we returned back there, he he said that those two two weeks were the best weeks of his life when wow. we weren't there. Hmm. So when did it start to get to a place where you had had enough, where you had realized that staying with him, nothing good would come from this? Uh, when my, it was when my daughter was uh, about nine months old, mm -hmm. we had, um, we were arguing, um, it was on a daily basis. Um, you know, there was a time he told me that, that he had broke up with me and that he was going to find her or find our daughter a new mom, um, that he was done with me. Um, and shortly after that, um, we got into a, a huge, huge fight. Um, and that's kind of when the final explo explosive event happened. Mm -hmm. Um, he put my daughter's life in danger. Um, he said he was going to commit suicide. Um, and, uh, he, he told his mother this same story and she actually called the police. Mm -hmm. And so the police his came. His mother? His mother did, okay. yeah. Um, so his, his, the police came to our house mm -hmm. and, um, one officer took him outside to talk to him and the other officer stayed with me. And, um, the first thing she asked was to see the, to see my daughter. Mm -hmm. And that was probably one of the scariest moments as I was handing my child over to her. I thought she was going to take her and take her away from me. Mm -hmm. Um, but she just gave her a look over and then she handed her back. And, um, then they ended up taking him to the hospital. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, when they took him, I, I did actually talk to his mom to see kind of what had, what had happened. Um, I wanted to, I knew that I needed to leave with my daughter because I didn't want to be home when he was released from the hospital. Mm -hmm. um, I was scared for both of our lives, actually. Mm. And Legitimate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. And, uh, you know, I said that I was going to go back home to see my parent or where my parents were. My parents actually had been to visit us and um, they had just left that morning, the morning that this happened. Um, so they stopped on their drive and um, I packed a couple of bags of stuff, um, got in the car and started driving. So they came back for you? They, they came part way back. I ended up meeting them about halfway. Okay. Um, it wasn't even, you know, I had barely got out of the town when the RCMP officers called me again and um, said that he had escaped from the hospital and they were looking for him. So he was there under arrest? He wasn't under arrest. He was there under like a assessment. Okay. Um, and they, um, I had told the RCMP officers what I was doing, that I was going to go back to my, you know, 
meet my parents. We were going to drive back to Saskatoon. And they said that they thought that was a great idea, that mm -hmm. I shouldn't be at home if he happens to get there. Mm -hmm. And as we were on the phone with each other, they actually found him walking and they picked him up again. And then he was taken for a psychiatric assessment. Mm -hmm. Um so yeah, then we, I, you know, I met with my parents. We drove all the way back to Saskatoon. What did that feel like when, as you were driving? What were you, what was going through your mind? Did it feel like a weight had come off or did you feel like this was just the beginning of the fight? I honestly like didn't know. I was, I was a mess. Like I, I had no idea really what I was doing. I just knew that I had to get out of there. Mm -hmm. Um, and then when we arrived back in Saskatoon, um, I, contacted the RCMP again, the officers that I had spoke to before, and just let them know that where I was, what was going on. Um, and they, they told me like, that's great. That's where you should be. Mm -hmm. Um, because the police were called and there was a child in the house, child services was contacted. And so I spoke with them. Um, and they too told me, you know, what you you did the right thing. You got out your child safe you're doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. I went to the city city police here in Saskatoon and I filed a report just so there was a record of it. Um, and actually the police there told me like, you need to get a lawyer. Um, I went through legal aid and, and I did find a lawyer, but I had all these authority, authoritative figures telling me that I was doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. That um, and, and I believe you were, I'm sure you believe that too. I did, yeah. I, I did think that. Um, the, uh, he did file an application, um, with the courts and the first judge, the, the, your partner or, or your lawyer, the partner, okay. my, my partner. Okay. Yeah. He was the one, um, because when I, I still hadn't actually known what I was going to do. Like, I didn't know if I was going to go back to that, um, or what, what I was going to do. Um, he, there was a moment he started to throw my belongings out. Um, he strung my my undergarments around the neighborhood um, and was taking pictures of them and sending them to me. And it was at that moment that I realized, like, I can't go back to that. It, it's just too toxic. Mm -hmm. um, there, you know, it, it, it was not good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and then um, they the it had he had filed this court application the first judge didn't make a decision on it but he said that we could stay in Saskatoon because my daughter was safe mm -hmm. um and i had to facilitate um virtual call three virtual calls a week with him okay um and prior to that i had i had you know we had been doing facetime so he could see that she was okay um you know how, when i how were those like the very first time that you saw his face in that FaceTime talking with your daughter, like, what was that like for you? Um, it was not good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, he, and it wasn't about my daughter. He was wanting to see what I was doing. He, like, he still was controlling and abusing me. Like, he was rage texting me, and I'm talking like hundreds and hundreds of texts a day. Wow. Um, and Not much time to do anything else. No. And he, um, you know, when we would do the virtual call, he would have me scan the room so he could see if anybody else was in the room. 
And the, the stupid part is, is that I did it. Like I was still under his control. I don't think that's stupid. No, well, I mean, <laughs> when I, I, I think hope you that, know what I'm trying to say. I know, I know. Yeah. Like when I think back, I'm like, how did I let him do that? Yeah, but at the yeah. time, like I was still so much under his control. Um, yeah. And it's hard, like, you know, this is this person that made your life basically a living hell and I still have to be in contact with him. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't able to block him because I couldn't cut the contact with his child. Mm. Um, so after that first judge, you know, had said that it was okay that we stay, um, I started to rebuild. I found, I, you know, got a really good job. I was starting to work t- towards finding a house for us. Like to buy a house? Uh, not to buy a house, just yeah. we were living with my parents at the time still, okay. so um, just to have a place of our own. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they, um, it did end up going into an, like into another court um, where that judge, he, uh, he, the only thing that he looked at was that I left without permission, and that's against the law. And so he court ordered my daughter and I back to um to bc Mm -hmm. and so um you know the place that i was trying to escape from this toxic place um we were getting sent right back into Mm -hmm. uh you know i reached out to as many people as i could think of i was emailing law professors um i was emailing mlas um actually one of the assistants of an MLA passed my email on to the Ministry of Child Services, mm-hmm. which I spoke with them. Um, all these people were shocked that this was happening, but no one could do anything about it. Um, I actually even reached out to the Attorney General's office, um, and they replied that the only um, the only thing considered is the child's best interest. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I just, I struggle with that because the judge should have considered why we left and and what was going on that we needed to leave and why it was almost impossible for me to get permission to leave. Mm-hmm. Somebody that con- is controlling your whole entire life isn't going to give you permission to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so I had to, um, I had no choice. I had to leave. Um, I had to leave my job. I had to leave my family, my home. Um, my entire support system. How long were you in Saskatchewan? Um, probably, I think four months. Okay. Yeah. And then on, so we had to be back in BC on March 13th. Mm-hmm. My mom and my brother came with me for support. Um, and then on March 16th was the day that um, I had to drop my daughter off with him. Um, for his beginning of his parenting time. And um, that was extremely difficult because, um, you know, in no other circumstance would you hand your child over to somebody that you didn't trust. And here I, like, I had to. I was forced to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I dropped my child off. And um, and then I moved into the, the shelter. Um, that was something else that the judge never considered was what the the market, the housing market was like in that town. Um, there was nowhere to rent. There was no way I would be able to afford to purchase anything because um, I had to go on social assistance. Mm-hmm. Um, 
uh, thankfully the shelter had a room for us. And, uh, yeah, that was, that was probably the hardest moment of my entire life was, um, moving what I had in my car into this room, into the shelter. Um, and as I'm bawling my eyes out and was, I'm moving stuff in, um, there was a woman that lived in the shelter that was standing outside and she said, um, things are going to get better. And at the time I thought there's no possible way, like how could things ever get better from this? Like that was, that was my rock bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, I, I ended up, um, turning to God at that point and asking for, well, first I asked for forgiveness and then I asked forgiveness for, for what, uh, just for choices I had made in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, and how I got to where I was. Um, and then I asked for strength and I asked for, um, guidance. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then I, I knew that I needed to do, I needed to fight. I needed to get us out of there. And, um, and that's what I started to do. Hmm. Beautiful. So what did that look like? Now, I I was going to ask you if there was any inclination to move back into the home with him when you went back to BC, but in your mind, that relationship was now done. That relationship was way far over. Yep. Um, the, well, and the timing of it all too. So we moved into the shelter on the 16th and I believe it was two days later is when the, basically the world shut down because of COVID. Mm. And, um, the only person that I was allowed to be in contact with was with him. I have a very similar thing with Donna and I back in the day that happened. What a thing. It's yeah. The. You know, this person, like I had said, like major life a living hell. And then this is the only person that I'm allowed to be that was in my bubble. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and things didn't get better. Like he still tried to control me. He still was very abusive to me. Mm-hmm. Um, he accused me of physically abusing my daughter. He accused me of starving her. Um, he threatened to call the cops on me all the time. Um, yeah, it was, there was, it was a struggle. Mm-hmm. There was so many times that I just wanted to give up and that I was like, I just can't do this anymore. Like I was. To, to what end? Like give up? Just, uh, you know. Like, are we talking suicidal ideation? Not, not suicidal. Sorry. I didn't mean that. Just like to give in to him. Um, you mm-hmm. know, you know, there's many times that I thought like, you know, if, if I just let him have his way and we, you know, if that meant moving back in with him or getting back together just to like make it all stop. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, you know, I found the strength to keep on going. Um, there was, you know, I was on the verge of, I feel mental breakdowns multiple times. Um, but somehow I, I, you know, had the strength to keep on going. How did you find your way out of the shelter? Um, I was able to, a friend of mine actually helped me, um, find a lawyer and, um, we started to, um, we, our, our case ended up going to trial Mm. 
and the the I'm judge sorry, that's that's terrifying i'm sorry oh it that it was difficult that yeah. um and he self represented himself so the heart i mean that was hard too i was um when i had to give my testimony um i had him cross examining me and that is something like i wouldn't wish upon anybody <laughs> um cuz it was attack it was an attack on me mm -hmm. um but the judge he you know he saw through a lot of of it and he granted us our relocation back to Saskatchewan. So we were in, um, we had been in the shelter. It was also a transition house. So we had moved into our own unit within that same building. Mm -hmm. um, we were there for two years. And wow. then, um, then the, then we were granted our relocation and um, we left immediately. We were out of there. Gone. Gone. Like, like, um, Wiley Coyote and <laughs> the shadow is just gone. Yeah. Amazing. Wow, what a journey. Um, so, how did that change the dynamic for you? Like, when you, when you heard that verdict, was it like joy? Was it relief? Or was it fear? Because now there's a whole bunch more work to come. It was, uh, it was joy. It was like a belief in the, the system again. Um, uh, and that was, you know, I think that day that I initially left was probably, that was my first day of freedom, but this actually felt like I was getting, I was going to be able to get my life back. Mm. Um, and yeah, and I did when we got back to Saskatchewan, um, I started to rebuild, um, mm -hmm. you know, it, in a weird way, COVID worked in my favor, um, because I was able to keep my job, um, that I had and work remotely. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I had a job to come back to when we were here and I started to, um, you know, found a, a house for, um, my daughter and I to move into and build a home for us. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, yeah. And that's, I think when I finally was able to start, start healing, so was he gone from the picture at that point or is there still a parenting arrangement at this point or what did that look like? So it was determined at the trial that he was going to still have parenting time. Um, it was one week a month, which is crazy because he lives uh, like 10 hours away. Yeah. So it was a lot of traveling for a small child. Um, did you drive her? There was a mixture of driving and flying, um, but that's, it was becoming very, very expensive to do. Yeah. Um, and that was the other thing too, was that um, the exchanges happened at his house. So whenever I had, I went to go pick up my daughter, I had to go to his house, which is, and I never knew what I was walking into. Um you know, he withheld her one time when I tried to pick her up. Um, we almost missed our flight coming back. Um, there, yeah, there, it was, it was intense. <laughs> Who was incurring these costs? Um, both of us, like I was responsible for the, um, travel costs 
to pick her up and he was responsible for his cost to when it was his parenting time. Mm -hmm. Um, so the fight is not over like at this point. No, no, no. And he's still, um, you know, he was still trying to control. Um, he was still, you know, verbally abusive through messages and, and texting. Um, and and then he was still given um, two FaceTimes a week as well. Mm. Mm -hmm. um, so, and I mean, that schedule still remains. Like, I still have to see him two times a week. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but we did have the parenting um, schedule change to follow the, the school calendar. Okay. So that's uh, that just came into effect um, at the beginning of this year so wow. that has helped a little bit um mm -hmm. but it's still never easy like yeah. it's i see him manipulating my daughter that was, um uh, that was going to be my next question uh, what what is it like and what does it continue to be like dropping your daughter off into his care uh i dread it every time it mm -hmm. never gets easier, mm -hmm. uh, and I don't think it ever will get easier. Um, and it's always like there seems to be some sort of issue or argument around the time that I, I do it. And so there's a lot of tension at the time, too. Mm -hmm. um, and, yeah, it's hard because I feel helpless. I want to protect my daughter. And I don't know how. And mm -hmm. I see him using the same kind of manipulation tactics with her. And uh, I don't know what to do about it. Like, I I struggle with that a lot. And I struggle with um, separating my relationship and how he treated me with the, his relationship with her. And mm -hmm. I, you know. Is he a good dad? Pardon? Is he a good dad? Um... No, <laughs> he, I don't even really know what he provides her. Like he doesn't, usually um, his mom is around when it's his parenting time. So I don't even really know how much time he spends with her. Mm -hmm. um, and he doesn't, he's financially not there for her. Um, uh, you know, emotionally he isn't there for her. So I think they have... I think she has fun. He buys her a lot of toys. Mm -hmm. um, and I think she ha does have some fun with him. But as far as being like an actual parent, yeah. I don't think. No. Yeah. So what, what kind of support system have you have you built now? Um, maybe it's family, maybe it's peer support. Uh, but, but what has come up around you since you've decided to, and were successful in coming back to Saskatchewan and being separated from it all? I'm really lucky to have such a strong support system. Like my family is, has been great through, through everything. Um, and I mean, it's taken their toll on them too, mm -hmm. especially my parents, um, as being grandparents. Um, and I, you know, my friends that my, I have great friends. Um, they're super supportive of me as well. And, um, my support worker that I had with at the shelter, she is one of my close friends now, and she has been amazing through through all of this as well. Mm -hmm. um, 
And I found that when I started to talk more openly about what what I experienced, that um, it started to become easier. But then I also found that there's a lot of people that are either going through something similar or know somebody that is going through this. And um, actually, just even kind of a side note, my support worker told me when I first arrived at the shelter that I was the fourth person the fourth client she had that year that was court ordered back to that town to that town to that that town yeah holy cow which is kind of mind-blowing to me Yeah. yeah um and then I um yeah I've started to do you know a lot of reading on domestic violence um on narcissism on um just different things so I could understand what what I had gone through, what, you know, certain traits and, and things, just understand it more. Um, I happened upon a webinar um, that was called um, Substance Use Coercion. And I didn't actually, I had never heard that before. Mm-hmm. And um, that is something that that I had gone through. Like, you know, when he kept encouraging me to um, continue partying with him, this was something that he did try to use against me when we did go to trial. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that, um, the organization that put on that webinar um, was, is called Resolve. They do research and education in domestic violence. Mm-hmm. And um, I actually reached out to them and they invited me to sit on their steering committee as, the, as a member with lived experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I I think I've gained a lot of strength um, from from you know being talking about it more, um, and then yeah, just having the support of people. Mm-hmm. Do you have anyone in your life right now that has had similar experiences that you can like talk to or anything like that? Uh, I. You know, one of my closest friends, she um, she was in a, a terrible relationship. So she has been somebody that I've leaned on quite a bit. She's mm-hmm. come a long ways um, in her relation, like in her journey as mm-hmm. well. So um, and I did um, talk to a counselor before, too, which was which was really helpful to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I have. I actually have a couple of friends that are going through something similar and it breaks my heart to see um, them, them going through this. And I try talking to them, but they, uh, you know, they're just not ready to get out. And I know that leaving is the hardest part, Mm -hmm. Um, but it's not, it's not worth it. It's not worth being in it. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned before the show that there was a message that you wanted to make sure that you said so before we let you go today is there anything that you'd like to leave us with um i just yeah to people that might be going through something similar um trust your gut your gut is never going to leave you let you down if something doesn't feel right that means it's not right Mm -hmm. and um and like i said the heart the hardest part is leaving but um, there's people out there that are there to support you and that want to help. You just need to ask for help. And I know that, again, was something very hard for me to do was to actually ask for help. And, uh, you know, you're, you're important and you're worthy and um, you deserve to have your life back. Hmm. Awesome. 
Thanks so much for joining us today, Kim, uh, having the courage to step forward with your message. Um, that's it for us today. Um, if you got something out of this episode, uh, please click that like button at the bottom of the screen. Um, if you're not yet subscribed, please, subs please subscribe and turn on notifications. We go live every Friday morning, every Sunday evening with impactful and meaningful stories, all sorts of knowledge. That's it for today. Have a great weekend, everyone. Take care. Say, this is Hard Knocks Talks. <laughs>